Hello, and welcome to Message in the Middle with Marianne. We all know that life is hard, right? It's messy, it's unpredictable, but it can be wonderful all at the same time. My hope is that we can take a deep dive into self-development topics and explore life's lessons through book clubs, conversations, and interviews. And together, we can uncover the lessons that others have already learned to help us navigate this crazy, wonderful ride called life. Hello and welcome to Message in the Middle with Marianne. And today I'm bringing you a discussion around Enneagrams. And I have Chelsea Ingle joining me. After an 11 year career in education, Chelsea became a certified Enneagram coach that's dedicated to helping clients discover why they feel stuck, how to release from being stuck, and how to live more present and connected. Chelsea, thank you so much for joining me today. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Me too. I'm excited to talk about this topic as we talked about in our connection calls. I think there's a lot out there people are hearing about this subject, Enneagrams. And I think there's also a lot of sort of confusion maybe about what it is. So I'd love to start us off there and just talk a little bit foundationally about what it is, and then we can get more into it. Absolutely. I would totally agree. Being a coach myself, I I notice a lot of those misconceptions coming up when I'm in a quick conversation with people. If I tell them what I do, they're like, oh, I I took that test once. And I'm like, yes. So I'd say the first misconception is just because many people choose to enter the Enneagram system through taking a test or a quiz, they think that the Enneagram is a test or a quiz, but it is not. It is just, that is how one of the many ways you can figure out your type. So the Enneagram is a personality tool that asserts that there are nine different core types that make up the lens through which we view the world. And the way those lenses are determined are based upon your core fears, core desires, and core motivations. So what makes the Enneagram a little bit different than other personality typing systems is that it tells it's based off of why you do what you do. And so it's the the reasoning behind the behaviors, which is what you see on the outside and the attitudes, which you internally have. So it basically says any anyone can act a certain way. Anyone can have these behaviors, these attributes, but why are you behaving that way? What is the subconscious fear or desire? What are you trying to get out of the way you're communicating with people? And just because that's something that's a little more in-depth and a little bit more behind, you know, just the everyday way we're behaving, we don't really think about it it's difficult to get to your type sometimes. So it's a beautiful self-discovery tool that helps you to develop your inner witness and start to understand why you're doing what you're doing and gives you the roadmap to have a little more curiosity around, are these behaviors and attitudes serving me? Are these motivators serving me? Are these productive or unproductive for me? So that was a great description. What I'm thinking is, If these things are coming from within, it's more sort of your motivation, I'd say kind of who you are at your essence. Mm -hmm. Can you change them? Can you change? So you're saying like, it's great to know what your type is so that you can understand your patterns of behavior. But how do you shift it then if it's truly something that's the essence of who you are? And can you? Yeah, absolutely. That is a beautiful question. And that is I would say the number one reason why I think the Enneagram is 
it it tops all the other personality systems out there because there is this Enneagram levels of psychological development that were um, created by Riso and Hudson from the Enneagram Institute. So each of the nine types has a vertical way that they show up um, within their type structure. So from unhealthy unhealthy behaviors and attitudes, which at those levels, they're driven by some very difficult fears and desires that are within them that are causing those unhealthy behaviors and attitudes all the way up through the average levels of development, all the way up to the healthiest levels of development, where you actually are liberated from your fears and desires and you are in your true essence. And so you're no longer driven by these fears or desires. You're very balanced and connected still at your core, you're connected with and and you understand that you came from this place of, for me as a type two, being loved and wanted. But I no longer am driven by those things. I'm balanced and connected. And I understand how all of the nine types and motivators push and drive everybody. And I'm just less driven and more just present here. So it gives you that roadmap to understanding like when I was acting in this way, I was probably in an unhealthier you know, level of development. And now that I've started to release myself from those fears or started to lean into, because the Enneagram also helps us along that path, if you will, to get to the healthier places by showing us what our level, or excuse me, our path of integration and disintegration are. So although I am a type two, I connect with and have resource points with two other types. My one type that I go to in stress, which happens naturally, is the type eight. And I take on unhealthy characteristics of the eight in stress. And then my type I go to in growth that helps me to lean into those healthy attributes and start to get to those healthier sides of my own type is the type four. So it sounds really confusing, but when you know what your type is, the attributes are there for you to look at. And it's more clear because you're like, oh, that is the thing I need to do to start growing. And when you lean into those, they're usually very opposite from the way you have been behaving to prove to yourself. You don't have to keep doing the things you've been doing to get your needs met. And then you release yourself from those things that are keeping you stuck. You're right. It sounds very confusing, right? There's all these types, there's all these attributes, (laughs) there's all these, there's a lot of pieces to it. Yes. And I think that's part of the reason we wanted to have this discussion because there's general knowledge out there. And we talked about like, can you just go take the test? Like you can go take, you know, Myers-Briggs or whatever. And you told me that, sure, you can go take the test, but it's challenging to really classify yourself properly. And many of us sort of cross over lots of things. So there's a lot of interpretation. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. There's so so many dynamics that go into it, right? And you can see that sometimes because it's kind of, it seems convoluted um, before you understand your type, people are like, okay, this is just some fake thing, but it's really not fake. It's based upon like, uh, it starts in your childhood and you can see all the ways that it's connected with you throughout your growth and everything. So it's all there for us to understand, but it is difficult because a lot of times the people have rubs with the Enneagram because there's some not like it talks about your blind spots. It talks about your weaknesses. It talks about the parts of yourself that you're not so proud of that you don't really love to have uncovered. But the way I like to say it is if you don't shine a light on the dark spots, then you're never going to f- be fully in the light because they're there, whether or not you're willing to shine that light there. Mm. And so I notice my clients like they first hear about the nine types And they'll say, oh, that's me. And it's like what they wish they were or what they see themselves as, but that's not really their type. And then a lot of times the type that they're like, oh, I don't like that type or, oh, 
I think I know someone like that and she's whatever is their type. And they're just so blind to those things about themselves. And then they speak with me and I start talking to them because it's about the motivations. And then they're like, oh my gosh, like I never even looked at that type because I was just like, oh, you know, so it's just really hard for us to sometimes be true to ourselves. And if we've never done deep inner work, like I talked about the inner witness when I was introducing it, if you've never done that deep inner work and found curiosity with in which, where is this coming from? That's a very confusing, but also exciting thing to explore. So having someone who understands the full system and the dynamics of, okay, so you used to act this way, but you don't anymore, probably because you've grown, but you still have that same core motivator driving you. You're working against it instead of going along with it, if you will. Basically, I think, you know, working with a coach can help you to You talk about yourself and I'll say, okay, let me ask you why you're doing that. But really why? But really, really why? (laughs) And when you're taking a test, they're going to give you all these attributes. They're going to say, for example, I don't like conflict. You know, conflict is something I'm uncomfortable with. So Marianne, how do you feel about conflict? Is that something you enjoy being a part of or it's not your favorite thing? Does anybody? Yes, there are types Uh, that love a good conflict. (laughs) Yeah, no, I would say I don't like it, but I will participate in it if I feel like it's necessary. Okay, so when is it necessary? I guess it depends professionally or personally, but I mean, I've managed people for most of my career and I would say it can be with performance conversations, it can be with Mm -hmm. a way somebody handled a client or a project or a deliverable that just is not meeting the expectation or there is angst amongst the crew, if you will. Okay. Um, that could be a conflict that you need to deal with, conflict with a client. If you mm-hmm. disappointed them in a way, that could be something that you have to deal with. Um, done that kind of stuff for years. That doesn't bother me as much. I would say personally, I'm probably more reluctant personally to deal with it than I mm-hmm. am uh, professionally. So where's the reluctance around um, engaging in conflict for you? I don't really know. What are you worried about happening? Like what's in the inner thoughts, those attitudes, like let's put a situation because sometimes having a situation, because there's so many different conflicts, you know, let's say you've got, do you have a partner in life? A husband. Yeah. A husband. Okay. Like your husband does something that you're contemplating. Do I want to bring this up to him or not? Um, And you know, it could create a conflict because you know him well and you've been with him for a while. So you know, it could create a conflict. What is stopping you? What is the fear behind starting that conflict with your husband? You know what? When you say that, the truth is nothing. I would have that conflict with my husband. Where I would hesitate to have that conflict is in a couple other places. Okay. Children, grown children. I have two grown children. That would be where I'm hesitant. Um, And then other family members that I probably won't name, but uh, I would be more (laughs) more hesitant there. And probably just because uh, for one grouping of them, it's just easier to just not Mm -hmm. and just do what you have to do to sort of keep the peace. Mm -hmm. You know, with the kids, where would the fear come in? The fear would come in at putting some wedge between the relationship, I guess I would say. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So that would be the fear then. Like the fear is that if if I have this conflict, that is it about you being rejected? Is it about there being a wedge between you? Is it about you losing the loyalty and safety within that relationship and feeling like then you wouldn't have your people? So like there's three different types I just brought up there within that. 
or is it just internally you love having peace? And so you're just not going to mess with your own peace. No, I'd say it's the one in three between the rejection and then not having my peeps, not having them around is important to me. So, yeah. So something that people don't know yet is that you took my, um, online survey, right? So I have kind of a different type of a test. Mine is not just giving you a couple attributes to pick between, but kind of coaches you through it, gives you some chance to answer some things and, um, gives me some insight into that. Uh, one of the type, the two types that you brought up are two types that you did answer some things about. So we keep calling them types and I know that's hard. If you don't know that we didn't say from the beginning, if you don't know the nine types, what they are, there's so many podcasts and so many other things out there to look at, to see what they are. But what you just said is, the fear of rejection, which is a type two, which is my type. Uh, we have a fear of being unwanted, unneeded, disposable, dispensable, replaceable. And so we avoid conflict with this feeling of if I bring a conflict to you, you might reject me. You might not want me anymore and I'll feel rejected. And I don't like that feeling. So I'm going to avoid or run away from that feeling. I also have a desire to be seen as loving, kind, generous, and giving. I have a desire to be loved, wanted, and needed. Well, in my psyche, in my mental, you know, gymnastics I do around here, it tells me I'm not, if I get in an argument with you, if I get into a conflict with you, you're not going to love me. (laughs) Like you're not going to need me and love me and want me around and all those things. That's where I'm coming from with my avoidance of conflict is like, I I don't want to be rejected, but also it's not loving, kind, and generous to bring up this issue between me and you. I see you nodding. Is any of that landing? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then the six is the other type. So the two is called the supportive helper. Um, and then the six is called the loyal skeptic. And you answered a few questions um, on the lines of a six. So I, I wonder if that would also be another one. And t- the other thing is because of these attributes that are very similar Sixes don't love conflict. Twos don't love conflict. Sixes want loyalty. Twos want to be loved and wanted. Those things are very similar. So on the outside, they're going to look very similar. Twos and sixes mistype as each other a lot for a lot of reasons. They're also dependent stance types. They also are responsible, dutiful, like to, you know, get things done, check things off their lists and are present mind focused. So there's a lot of attributes that are the same. What's different? They have different motivators Mm. (laughs) driving them. And so that's what makes it so confusing for people is they're like, well, I act like that and I act like that and I act like that. That doesn't matter. Why are you acting that way? So for the sixes, they want to be, they want to feel safe and secure and they want to feel grounded and they want to fight, like fight against anxieties and insecurities. And so they have their few people that they really trust and that they really give a lot of that trust to and being separated from those few people they really trust is their core fear of being on their own completely emotionally and or physically um, because they feel like they need to check in with those people and have them close by. But they also can be hyper independent and be like, don't tell me what to do. So they're kind of this like this way or that way, this way or that way. And they're and they're trying to find that groundedness in the middle where they can kind of stay grounded and and not be questioning things at all times. And their core weakness is anxiety. So a few of the questions you answered were as a six, tend to second guess and doubt myself. So I check in with others so I can feel more sure. 
that's that part of checking in. And then um, when I'm unsure of how a situation may play out, I tend to think through whatever might happen. So they have this kind of planning that they do for the worst case scenario. If I know the worst thing that's going to happen, then I can work my way back and feel safe and secure now, even though yeah, obviously you don't know what's going to happen. So anyway, that's more of the six and they would be staying away from conflict with those people because they wouldn't want to mess with the security in the relationship. That's interesting. I definitely think for myself, I lean more towards the two for sure, as you explained them in that depth. But I would say that helps because I can clearly see how, yeah, just taking the test, they do have a lot in common. So it's it's hard Mm -hmm. to kind of decide where you fit. And honestly, I'll be honest with folks, Yes, I took the test and I probably could have spent a little bit more time on it if we're being honest. But I will say like all these, like all the tests, if you spend too long looking at any of the questions, you're like, well, I kind of fit this and I kind of fit that. And I know you, you know, yours did, you had some pointers there, like just, you know, pick the one that fits your best and not situational, just in general. Like, so there was some, some really good um, structure there. But I do feel like it's sort of easy to waver when you're taking those tests. So probably talking it out does help. And I also would say that I see some of that too in you because in stress, the two goes to the type eight and the type eight is the protective controller, but basically they're the most dominating type on the Enneagram. So they want power and control. They want to be in charge of the situation. And so twos, which is what I am. We are generally this loving, kind, generous, giving, you know, caring, nurturing type. But then in stress, we take a hard right turn and we go to that domineering, controlling energy and we take on that controller space. And so you did have like one of them that answered as an eight. But when I see that pattern, I'm like, okay, well, she answered this and this and this. I can kind of say like, okay, well, maybe that's because she feels that energy when she's in stress. Or maybe she is an eight and she, and I need to find that out. So Marianne, do you love to have power and control in order to protect yourself? Do you wish to have the ability to dominate your environment so that no one can really betray you or it's kind of all or nothing type of an attitude with you? Or does that not describe you? Yes. I'm hesitant to say yes because okay. of the all or nothing, but I I do think very much like to be in control of my environment. I've been let down way too many times in my world and had to do things on my own. So yes, I, I do feel like I like to be in control of things because I know I can count on me and I'll get it done. And yeah, that fits right in. But am, So I, I struggle a little bit with the black and white all or nothing. I'm not somebody that like ices people out. That's not me at all. Um, Mm -hmm. but the rest, yeah. Uh, so the core weakness of the type eight. So what I was saying there is to have power and control in order to protect yourself is a desire. The fears of being betrayed, controlled, manipulated, harm, the victim of injustice. And so with that, you hear almost this intensity behind that, right? Like I don't, I'm not going to be the victim of injustice. I will stand against things. I will, be very like it feels like domineering energy like this intense energy like with 100% vigor behind it and their core weakness is called lust and not in the way that we hear that and think like they're lusting after someone else but they're lusting after intensity power and control and so it really is that all or nothing it's like you're either with me or you're against me and they inherently take that 
that mindset when they're going after things. So either get on my train or get the hell out of my way. Cause either way we're getting this shit done. So you can be with me or not. Okay. Yeah. That's a little bit me. <laughs> oh, darn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we don't have time. So like, yeah. let's get it done. Like, it's like, we're going to, this is how we're doing it. This is yeah. how much time we're doing it for. And it, other people feel like you're being like, you're not trying to have a fight with anyone, yeah. right? Like you don't really want to have a fight with anyone, but the intensity with which you come at things feels like you're trying to, like, they feel like you're fighting with them when really you're just like, no, I'm just talking. This is just me yeah, having a discussion. It's interesting <laughs> because again, going back to professional life, because I spent so much, so much of my life in, in a role where I was managing and, and building teams, that was actually something I had to really work on because you can't have the same expectations of other people that you have on of yourself when your expectations are super yeah. high yourself. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I can recognize that person. I would say I don't live like that to that, you know, extreme all the time because I, I know and I'm aware and I kind of try to tamp it down a little bit, if you will. But yeah, it's there for sure. Yeah. So is it something you shift into when you need to take on that energy because you're trying to get shit done? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Trying to get stuff done. Um, and, or is it like, you're generally in that nurturing, caring, protective space of like, you know, I want to protect you because I want to be loved and wanted by you. Or are you in that fully domineering space most often? And you're shifting into that more nurturing, caring space when you're in a healthier space, because the way the Enneagram works is those lines go together where it's like a two goes to an eight in stress and eight goes to a two in growth. So they become more compassionate, caring and understanding and open with their emotions and everything like that. So I hear when you- they're in a safer place. Yeah. That's yeah. me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so like you're mostly in the intense energy and you can shift into the more nurturing, caring energy. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So the, with the type eight, that, that one, you answered a few of them like that. Like when I was uh, the beginning, we talk about stances. So the stances represent how we approach life and how we get what we want. It's the energy we're expressing when we pursue the things that we believe will fulfill our own core desires. And this helps us to break the Enneagram types into triads instead of just having nine to look at. It can be a lot to look at all nine when you're first entering the system. So I choose to start my test with what stance are you resonating with most? We have all three stances, just like we have all nine types. You're going to want all nine things. None of these things are bad, (laughs) like that you're going to, you know, you're going to want peace. You're going to want to be loved. You're going to want to be right. You're going to want to be successful. You're going to want to be competent. You're going to want to be safe. You're going to want to be joyful and success, uh, satisfied. You're going to want to be powerful and control. All the things sound good. There's none of them that don't, but there is one of them that is driving you, right? So to kind of narrow it down, I start with these stances. There's three of them. The assertive aggressive stance does not mean the person is always going to be assertive aggressive. It means they assertively aggressively pursue the things that are going to fulfill their core desires. These are types three, seven, and eight, and they know what they want. They go after it and they get their way, whether it's through convincing others or just doing it. And that was what you scored yourself highest on. So tell me a little bit about like that stance and how you see yourself there. I mean, your description is how I see myself there. I think that when, you know, I know that I, 
I want to do something or I know something needs to get done, I'm, I'm all in and I'm going after it and I'm getting it done. I would say not at the cost of other people, but yes, I'm definitely going to try to figure out a way to get to the end goal of what I'm trying to do and usually do. Nice. Okay. So that, that one you scored really high. And then the next one was the dependent stance, which are types one, two, and six. It's where I live. Um, and we rely on others for affirmation and to know if we're doing okay. We check in with others to process things. We're present mind focused. So when something's going on in our lives, especially like for me as a two with my relationships, the other types a little different in there, but something's happening in my life, a problem arises. It's like a mountain that's in front of me. And I feel the need to fix it in that moment. I can't move forward through my day until I've fixed that thing. The assertive aggressive types are future oriented. So they're very quick to go, okay, we're done with that. Move on next thing. Cause we need to get to the next thing. So they are more repressed in their heart center. And they're more like, let's just next thing, keep going. We don't need to keep talking about it where the twos are the twos, ones and sixes are like, but we didn't figure this out. We need these details. We need these things. We need to know this and we need to know that. And like, but what about this? And we're kind of coming at the problem towards the problem. Whereas the sort of aggressive energy is against where it's like, we're going to move against it and we're going to keep moving forward. The dependent stance is moving towards it. Um, seeking information, seeking to get to the point where we understand where we lie in the space. And then we need that. Inf- we need to check in with others to feel okay about stuff. And you rate that one pretty low. So would you say still thinking about it? It's pretty low. Yeah, I feel a little bit mixed. I definitely feel like I do check in. I'm looking for affirmation from people externally. I mean, I've, I've done a lot of work in that space, okay. but I think my default is to do that. But I do think I fit more in with the aggressively going after it, getting past the detail of it. Like just what's the least bad decision? What can we do? What do we, you know, let's just get it done and then move on. That's, I feel like that fits me more. Okay. So um, when you said that about that, you've worked on not getting, you know, needing that affirmation. So one thing we haven't talked about, because like I said, there's a lot of dynamics in here with the type six, they have two different stances that they take that none of the other types have that can make, because like I said, the sixes were the ones where the loyal skeptic, they're, they're hot, they're cold, they're in, they're out, they're up, they're down. They need to check in with others. They want to feel safe and secure. They want to have their loyal group of people around them. They also have this other thing, this other spiciness to them that the other types don't have. And it's, it's this phobic and counterphobic energy. Um, so there's counterphobic sixes and phobic sixes. And the counterphobic sixes fight against their fear. They fight and push against things because that's what they do when they're put in a space where fear and anxiety lie. So they look and act on the outside a lot like an eight, but they're fighting against these insecurities and this fear to find security, to find where their security lies, where their groundedness lies. So they do need to check in with others. Eights do not give two Fs what other people think. Sixes do. (laughs) So what I'm hearing in you is this dynamic between I really do need to check in with people, but there's a big part of me that wants to push. Yeah. That's your counterphobic energy. And most sixes have a mix of some. So sometimes they're phobic, sometimes they're counterphobic, but usually it's on the spectrum and like they'll kind of lean a little bit more into one or the other and present that way most often. I see a lot of nodding. What are you thinking? Yeah, no, I think that's, that feels like a softer, if you will, for better lack of a better word, but it feels like a softer fit. Like, it, yeah, I, I think that makes sense. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just because one of the main motivators of a six is to fight against insecurity and anxiety, it is their default to want to say like, that's not me because I don't want, I want to be the secure person who can make the decision and not check in with people. Mm-hmm. But I know I feel better when I can check in with those few people I trust. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not that eights never check in with people. It's just that that's not as much of a part of their mental gymnastics that they're doing they rely on themselves. They are very self-sufficient. They are very much so onto the next. And sixes, sixes get a lot done. Oh my gosh. They are the the people who are going to be the most dutiful, responsible. Like they're kind of some of the best employees. Um, and especially when they have rules to rely on, because that helps them feel safe. Like I know what the rules are. I know what the protocols and the expectations are, and I will do what's expected of me here. But when there are some like gray areas for them. They feel like, where do I land here? Because the security isn't there for them to land on. So if you have, for example, a conflict you have to have with a with someone at work where it's like, well, they're not meeting these expectations, but you can bring the expectations up and say, da, 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 da. But if there's no expectations and everything's wavy, the six is going to be super anxious and know something's <laughs> off, but want there to be expectations so that they can go back and be like, you're not doing the thing, you know? Yeah. I was going to say, well, you're a bad manager if there's no expectations. But, well, I mean, yeah. I would agree with you very much so, but it's like they're searching and questioning for finding those expectations so that they can feel secure. Yeah. So if there isn't clarity around what's expected of me, the sixes are going to ask a lot of questions. That's why they're called the skeptics because yeah. they're they're not doing it to question the, they kind of are testing the person a little bit to see if they know, but also they want to feel secure. So they just keep asking questions all the time. Yeah. That's a fit. Okay. So, and then the last one was withdrawn stance and they tend to withdraw from life. So they move away from things, which for me is extremely counterintuitive. That's the least thing that I am. Like I have all three and I don't do the withdrawn very often. So, um, but it's my husband's a nine, he's withdrawn. So he moves away from things when we're going to make a big decision, he moves away and goes internal and processes. Hmm. What is this? What's going on here? And he thinks about it from his own internal perspective. So he, uh, the dependent stance is more kind of that external, you know, going out to others and the sort of aggressive is more independent, but they're not processing. They're just moving forward. The withdrawn stance is internally processing. It takes them time to get into action. They're going to think about it for a long time. And they're okay with sort of being like, I don't know, just give me some time to think about it. And I haven't made the decision yet. So you're already hearing these three different dynamics and just the stances and how this can be huge to understand about yourself, your spouse, someone you work with, because an assertive aggressive type is what's next. And a withdrawn stance type is like, I need some time to process and a dependent stance type is in there going, come on guys, let's do that. Da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. But even just starting with your understanding of these three things, when you're doing these three things, when you're shifting into the different energies, cause you have all three again, maybe you do one more in stress. You do one more when you're feeling some kind of way, whatever, but one is your core way that you're at the world. And you said you've been work the way I brought it up. The reason I heard it was, I've always tried to work in not having to work on um, checking in with others. That means you check in with others. Yeah. That is your stance. Yeah. And you're trying to not do that by being more independent. Well, not check in with others. So maybe I worded it incorrectly because I would say that doesn't bother me. I do still do that. That's fine. I think the uh, comment was around like external validation on things, that part. Thank you. Yeah, that is correct. I misspoke on that. Yes. 
So you talked about not needing that validation yeah. or that affirmation. Yeah. But again, that is your stance then. If yeah, you're yeah. working against that, yeah. then it's like your natural I'm default. There. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's I get PSG. that. Yeah. But again, because you worked against it, it's hard for you to answer the question. And you put the dependent stance as your lowest scoring. Yeah. But it's really yours. But you are taking it quick. Yeah. I was just going to say, I disagree with that now that, you know, we've talked about it even just now when you were given that last example, I totally would have Mm -hmm. said dependent stance out of the three that you were talking through. So yeah, I can see though how it's, it's tricky. It's really tricky and you need more examples and you need me to push back and you need me to say, and not, it doesn't have to be me, but just having someone who understands the Enneagram to help you think through it because your default is going to be what you want to be rather than what you are sometimes. (laughs) Well, and it's interesting to me, all of it's interesting to me, but I think the thing that came to my mind when you said about, and I'll probably misquote you, but you said something about doing the inner work and shining the light on those areas that need the most work. It made me think of a conversation Mm -hmm. I just, I just recorded. It hasn't been released yet, but I recorded an episode around shadow work. I don't know if you know that term, yes. but I hadn't heard that term. And I, I had interviewed this woman a, a while back on something else and she does work in that space. And so I, we went back in to talk about that. And it feels to me like this sort of line can align into that same thought process of opening yourself up and sort of doing the work to kind of look, peel the onion, I guess, within and doing it with compassion and curiosity, which I think is tricky for two things, two reasons. I think it's tricky for people to understand what we mean by that because it's so conceptual. Mm -hmm. And then I think it's tricky to do, but to me, it's sort of the same. It is. So the Enneagram, that's, like I said, it's a very multifaceted system. We are complex individuals and the Enneagram takes into account all the intricacies in which make us ourselves, our childhood experiences. You know, there's always this question, when do you become your type? And there's, we're never going to be able to go to like, a baby and say, what are your core (laughs) desires and motivators? Tell me all about that. And because that's what makes you your type. Literally, that's what makes you your type is your core desires, motivators, and fears. When do we become our types? Great question. For me personally, as a certified Enneagram coach, someone who's been working on it for a few years now, and I have a couple kids of my own, I will tell you, they are their types right now. Yeah. And I think they were their types when they were inside my belly because they have always had completely different personalities that are following this line, right? And so we have these internal childhood messages that are told to us as kids and they get reinforced and processed. And then we still believe those things about ourselves. Each of the nine types also has either an ambivalence, connection, or disconnection from either their nurturing or protective figure. And so again, That is the first connection, disconnection, or ambivalence that we have to the world in a relationship to the world. And that is how we keep redo, like coming at the world our whole lives until we open up our eyes to that. And these are just a couple of the ways in which the Enneagram can help you go, whoa, that's something about me that I believe is true, but it is not because it's the reality and the story that I've been telling myself my whole life because of these two different dynamics, right? And so I feel like the shadow work side of things. There's also the blind spots in the Enneagram. There's the weaknesses. Each of the nine types has a passion or weakness. 
Um, there's thought fixations. I could keep going. And that's why I have a job because people are interested in learning these things about themselves. And their default is to fight against that and to go with what they've been telling themselves, even if it isn't serving them. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think whether we name it this or anything else, I think that's one of the biggest challenges when people start sort of getting enlightened and and try to transform in any way. You have to do the work and really get self-realization and really be aware. And I think understanding that, it can only help. It can only help. The more you can understand, it can only help you try to do that work or try to figure yourself out or the parts you want to change. Because I think every single person I've ever talked to acknowledges we all tell ourselves stories, that we have these pre-programmed stories that most of the time are not serving us. So anything you can do to try to you know, eliminate Most that. Most of the time they're coming from your core fears. Yeah. They're coming from those core fears and those motivators. And so I teach my clients during, I do a typing session with clients and that's not like typing on the computer. That's like figuring out your Enneagram type subtyping <laughs> session. And um, during that time, you know, we are really kind of looking at and peeling back the layers and understanding where is it that we're going with this? Like, wh- what is your type? Why are you this way? And then at the end of the session, I just, I just listen to them and they tell me about themselves and I connect that back with, oh, that sounds like you're communicating this pattern. Is that true? Let's talk about that pattern. Oh, you're communicating this pattern. We look between the core motivators, we narrow it down. And then we look at these core motivations at the end. And then I show them, okay, because you are this, this core type, that means you're, there's three centers of intelligence, the head, the heart, and the body center. And each of the types lives within one of those. We have all three, just like all of this with Enneagram. We have all of this thing, but one of them is our core core thing. So for me, I'm a heart type and my core emotional struggle because I'm a heart type is with shame. And so sometimes people have never explored what that shame means to them. So I'm like, okay, the next time you're feeling some kind of way, look at this and say, I'm feeling unworthy, which is a shame feeling. I'm feeling unworthy because as a type two, I have a fear of rejection. I'm feeling rejected here. I'm feeling rejected here. So of course I feel unworthy because I have been telling myself I have to be beyond rejection in any space. So it's like giving ourselves that ability to stop, pause. This is what I'm feeling. I'm feeling shame. Why? Well, it's my core emotional struggle, so I'm going to feel it. And also because I'm feeling rejected here, I'm feeling like people don't need me. I'm feeling like I'm worried people won't need me. I know that feeling well. Of course, I'm going to feel that way. What do I need right now in order to not feel that way? Will I even feel better just being able to talk myself through this? Now, all of that takes pause, curiosity, and also a lot of understanding of yourself. And that's what the Enneagram can help you do. So you leave a session going, I know what my core type is, my motivators are, and my core emotional struggle. And I know how to start practicing that. And just doing that one thing over time is going to create a huge amount of change in your life because you're no longer reacting to those fears. You're questioning them and you're being curious. I love that. And I loved that example because it shows how you can take a lens of curiosity and compassion. And again, I think going back, circling back, I think that's challenging for people, but that's a great example to to sort of highlight how that can happen. So I guess before we wrap is, I mean, this was great. This is a great overview. I think it clearly shows the complexity, mm-hmm. but also the possibilities 
that we can take away from this for anybody that's trying to do some of this work in in themselves and get to know themselves better and their motivators. Is there anything else you'd want to leave with folks to just think about before they decide whether they want to pursue taking this test and really working, whether they take it the test alone or work with somebody, but really to try to dig into some of this? Yeah, I would just say, if you're ready to kind of figure yourself out and you're ready to look at things and peel back those onion layers, as you said, I'm very interested in lots of different personality tools and systems. I've not found a better system that is more comprehensive than the Enneagram if you're willing to do that hard work and peel back those layers. And there's so much there, free resources online via Instagram, via blogs, via podcasts, via all the things to start that process and just become curious and start looking into it. And it's a really healthy place to go with that energy. If you've been feeling kind of lost or like stuck or any of those things, like what do I do? Having something to put that energy into in a productive way. And people will be like, I don't know if I believe in that stuff. And I say, it's not something to believe in or not believe in. This is not a faith-based type of a thing. There is a spiritual component to it because when you get to the highest levels of development, you're looking spiritually at your true essence. And there's those wordings in there that sound like they could be a Christian-based thing, but really it's any religion, anybody can do this. It's a psychological tool that helps you to understand yourself more deeply. So I'm a more scientific-minded person. I take it more in that approach, but you will find if you look into the any more faith-based things. If that's your style, go for it, but you don't have to be faith-based in order to do this. So it's not like that type of a thing that's as woo-woo as what people might think it is. (laughs) And so just give yourself kind of that open-mindedness to like dive into it be curious about yourself, be ready to be called out on your crap because that's what the Enneagram is going to do and give yourself compassion and and care and self-love through those moments. And while you're opening your eyes and and waking up to yourself is really what's happening. You're you're asleep to yourself and you wake up to yourself when you start understanding these things. It's exciting, but it is quite the journey. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. One last question. How long do people usually work with someone like you or or even on their own journey if they're really digging in and, and kind of doing the work on the discovery? What does that normally take? Right. So I, I, I mean, there's a full range, I would say, but you know, you could just do a typing session and that's an hour <laughs> to feel like I know what my type is because that, as we've discussed, it can be quite difficult to figure that out. So once you get it, there's tons of books and things that you can do on your own. Right. And That's what I had. I mean, I figured out my type through my therapist. So he helped me to figure out my type. My psychologist helped me figure out my type. And then I did a lot of self-journeying from there. The journey is never over because there's always another onion layer to unpeel and another place where you see your motivators are driving you because life is super dynamic. Um, So it's very difficult to ever be done with your journey, if you will. And I can go back to the books that I read from the beginning and read them again. And now that I'm on a different level of development, I'm reading something completely different because I'm a different person than I was then. Um, And so it's really a never ending thing. I personally work with, I have like a two session package. The first one's the typing and then the leveling session is after that, where I, again, just show you from the highest levels of development, how you disintegrate down into the average levels, and then what it looks like on the unhealthy levels, help you to set intentions around, this is a healthy behavior and attitude for my type structure. So I'm going to replace some of these average things I'm still doing with those healthy things and have a lot of intention behind your growth and just kind of, again, make clarity with how to use your type. And then I also take clients on a full 
elite life journey that is a three to four month long deep dive into your personality. And a lot of people say it's a lot like going to therapy, but it's not therapy because I'm bringing you your type structure and you're using that as a way, like each of these different components we've talked about today, we bring that to the table and you're reflecting on that and going deeper within yourself. Whereas a therapy, you come and talk about yourself and like, you know, this is more like guided and focused and intentional growth. So within the three months, you're able to kind of shift up one or two levels of development and really gain more self-awareness and, and acceptance there. That's great clarity. And it's good to know that there's this range. People can just dive in and, and do their own work or they can really get guided and go in deeper. So yeah, good to know. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to, of course, put all your information out on the show notes so people can get in touch with you. You already mentioned, and I took it, right? We talked about it, but um, your website has a great intro test that people can take if they're interested. And I know that free. I was just going to yeah. say it's free and it leads to like, yeah. I think what, like a, a quick 10, 15 minute call just with you to, to get a, like a summary or something? So you can schedule a 10 minute call for me to go over your results with you and let you know which of the types are most likely yours. I'm not going to tell you this is your type because a test can't do that, but yes. <laughs> so I guess if people are interested and just want to kind of poke around and start that process, they could definitely check it out. But like you said, there's also tons of uh, information out there if they want to just get a general understanding of it. But, 100% yeah. yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been great and informative. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Message in the Middle with Marianne. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take a minute to share it and write a review as it helps bring new listeners to our audience. If you'd like to keep the conversation going between episodes, please join us at Facebook group Message in the Middle with Marianne.